Welcome to the Woman Who Rubs the Mountain podcast, a gathering place for conversations and stories of ecological embodiment. I am your host and guide, Kendra Ward. So our explorations begin with this single question. What happens when we rub on the body of the earth? How does it brush back against us? So here we seek an intimacy, a love affair with the land and beings where we live. Let us come together in creative, strange, disruptive ways of relating beyond the human-centric limitations of our current dreaming. By sharing experiences of embodied ecology, our reality shifts, our core truths sharpen, and space is made for a new old earth-honoring culture to reemerge. And you, dear listener, can join me in this animus celebration. Come share your explorations of earth-honoring revelry in spoken or written word to the story cauldron. Listen to the end or go to KendraWard.com to get all of the details. So I am so very honored to be in conversation today with the medicine woman of Providence, Rhode Island, Erica Nunnally. Erica is truly a woman of many, many gifts. She is an author, and I will leave links to her creations in the show notes page. She is also a master yoga teacher, a master Reiki teacher. She is the founder of the Deep River School of Yoga. I love the name of that. Um, but what really drew me to her work is um, her, her work as a traditional animist and ritualist and intuitive healer and ancestral guide. As a keeper of both universal and ancestral medicines, Erica describes her dharma as holding the space between for folks who are ready to reconnect to their highest self. Erica teaches and leads workshops and retreats nationally and internationally, online and in person. And to check out her offerings, please go to her website, ericanunnally.com. So good to share this space with you, Erica. Thanks for being here with me. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> so just in the spirit of grounding, I am wondering about the place where you are, the place where you live, and I'm wondering about the new old names of this place. Yeah, absolutely. So I am seated here actually on the lands of the Narragansett. Um, it's Providence, Rhode Island, <laughs> um, and, you know, surrounded by the rivers and on the coast of the ocean. It's just truly remarkable land. Um, yeah, and I'm just honored to be able to be here and hold this space with the spirits that are here. Beautiful. Well, tell me a little bit more, just, just tuning in and feeling into that a little bit more from an embodied sense. I'm wondering if there are any ways in particular um, that how you create an embodied connection there and how you feel into sort of this sense of inner ecosystem, reflective of outer ecosystem and vice versa, sort of the intertangling of that. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's really interesting. I think when we first moved here, so um, just to back up a little bit, my family was actually living in Massachusetts, the land of Massasoit and many others, <laughs> um, and slowly started making our way south for several uh, years and then landed here in Providence. Um, and honestly, when I first landed here in the city, right, I was actually having a bit of trouble connecting to the lands and the waters. And so I was, you know, turning on the faucet and speaking to the water coming out of that and to the reservoirs that feed it because I was just like, I don't know, I'm in a city, city, you know, um, even though it's really small. But when 2020 came along and everything had to slow down, my family and I had a lot of time to get out and hike and learn a little bit more about the the natural spaces that are here that are sort of untouched and um, you know natural waterfalls to the south and the winding paths in the north and just these small little nooks and crannies that seem to follow the, the flow of the rivers and so it was just actually a tiny little blessing in the spark of everything that was going on hmm. to help me reconnect and recenter with the lands here. So it's kind of a new relationship. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. Going deeper with that. Yeah. yeah. Having the ocean there is, I'm, I used to live an hour from the ocean and now I live three to four hours and it's, um, yeah, that's big medicine there. That great mama mm-hmm. ocean. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, one of the things that we actually did during, um, during these past two years is we were able to go camping a lot more often. And so we started moving again a little further south and just following the coast of the ocean. And we landed um, in Virginia, where my ancestors are predominantly from, and spending time with the ocean there and sort of hearing its stories in relation to the ocean up here. And, you know, there's similarities, but there are differences when you really sit and listen and um, and I think that was a wonderful anchoring for me in particular, like being able to experience the shift in tone and voice of the ocean as you move further south. So mm-hmm. just throwing that in there. Yeah, that's a really, <laughs> that is really, really true. Mm-hmm. Like how each spot along the ocean is entirely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, just just you you mentioned on your website you describe mm-hmm. how you've always felt drawn to animism and yes. to earth-based medicines mm-hmm. um, but also this sense you use this word rootlessness and uh, you use it in the context of of not having any exposure to the medicine people of your ancestral lineages who mm-hmm. might have taught you their ways and so uh, you know, just feeling into how this is true for many of us. And I'm wondering if you might just speak to this, this rootlessness a little bit more. Oh, absolutely. I mean, for me, I believe the rootness, rootlessness was almost times two. So just being um, a person of African descent here in the Americas, right, we have that story of crossing the ocean, crossing the waters. Um, but also, my ancestors were already here <laughs> as well, but there was a huge, of course, as we know, a lot of displacement and um, disruption there. So that's just ancestrally speaking, you know, having this loss of land and loss of connection and loss of stories, but also in my immediate family, my father was in the military. So we moved every four years. <laughs> So, uh, you know, even though I was born in California, right, this is the land that I was born on, two months after I was born, we moved to uh, Japan. And so I spent the first four or five years of my life there, and Japanese was actually my first language, but I was not of there, right? (laughs) Then we moved again, we ended up in the Philippines, and, um, you know, another four or five years goes by, and we finally make our way back to the U.S., and it felt foreign to me because we landed in Wyoming. And this was very, very different than, of course, the lands of being in tropical spaces and always connected to mountains and, you know, going to school in shorts 365 days, you know, that kind of thing. Um, So it was a tremendous shock to my system. And what my father and my mother were able to do is to help us anchor within each other. And so our family unit became roots. And when we landed here, I started to actually, because it was so foreign, I started to sink into listening to the plains because they were so different than the tropical mountains and jungles that I had been in. And I was like, wow, (laughs) it really, it's not just, you know, I'm in a different place and, you know, I've lost my friends, but the, the land here spoke differently to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I recognized at a very young age that, you know, Snow and I were not going to be friends. <laughs> but, you know, the plains and the tall grasses, and we even had buffalo literally roaming in our backyard at the time, um, those I, I could speak with and resonate with, right? So anyway, eventually we finally land in Washington state. And there's a bit of a familiarity there because there are these wonderfully tall mountains, which sort of remind me of of Japan, but of course, still not necessarily the tropics, right? And while we were hiking, this is probably when it happened, 
that stones started to speak to me. And one of the stones that I keep actually in my medicine bundle is a stone that I've had since I was 12 years old. So here, you know, 30 some odd years later, it's still with me. Um, I didn't know what it meant at the time, but it was part of my anchoring. It was part of reminding me that the earth, even though I might be more of a tumbleweed on the earth, the earth has all of these wonderful connections underneath. And if I stop and I listen, then I can see how they're actually connected. So at a very young age, I used to leave my house when I would feel unrooted and follow trails through the backyards, over mountain, you know, over fences and all of these things that you're not supposed to do, but I did anyway, to cross this creek, land in the center. And I sat on this flat rock and that's where I would listen to the trees. And when I could hear them singing again, then I knew that I was connected, not just to like the trees, but to myself and to all of the spaces that I had touched before I landed there. And so it helped to anchor me back all the way back to, you know, the Philippines and Japan, and even the spaces that I don't remember in California, I could sink down enough and hear the songs and they all kind of came together from all around the world. So being rootless, it was a literal experience for me, but being able to find connection in the natural world is how I was able to anchor. And this is what I try to bring to the clients that I work with. Wow, that is so beautiful. I just have this image of you, like your mycelial networks are just all around the globe. I mean, not too many people have that experience of having interacted with so many different ecosystems and um, but feeling it deep, running deep, deep within the earth. Um, yeah. That's beautiful. Yes. My parents so, were really good at reminding me that, you know, home is not necessarily, and I think it's because of sort of that ancestral wounding of always moving, but they were like, yeah. home is where you hang your hat and home is where your family's at, right? So on the surface, that was always enough. And then when I needed to truly like find my roots, I could listen to the broader, broader ecosystem. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you also practice um, what you call the four medicines approach. Yes. And it feels like that, um, just maybe telling us a little bit more about that. And um, mm -hmm. to me, it feels like it's revolutionary and also not at the same time, you know, so. Yeah, <laughs> <Precisely>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what it, it's so funny because, you know, there was a time, I mean, I guess it still sort of exists now where, you know, what I do and how I show up in the world was, is considered or was considered alternative, right? But really for me, it's, it's a remembering of, you know, returning back to actually our, our, our more ancestral and native ways of communicating and being with each other and this earth, right? Like it's actually the old way, <laughs> it's right. the original way of being. But so my role, I realized, you know, is to provide and reintroduce people, reconnect them back to these four medicines. So mind, body, spirit, and nature. And in my own personal journey, I spent probably, you know, 25, 20 to 25 years of my adult life focused primarily on mind, body, and spirit. This was how I was getting my connection. And I was like, okay, you know, but for some reason I was still not well, you know, like I had terrible um, digestive disorders that literally would put me in the hospital for weeks or months at a time. Um, you know, it was, and that was a struggle, not being able to actually take in nourishment, right? Because your digestive system is so out of whack. And I think a lot of people can actually resonate with that. Um, but what I realized, I don't know, it just sort of came on like a light switch one day, that if you imagine for a moment a stool, and let's say it's a three-legged stool, and like we kind of like three-legged stools because no matter where you put them on the earth, they'll be kind of level. You know, like you can sit on it, it'll be stable to a degree. And 
that's a wonderful thing. But the reality is that you don't know with that. You know, it's kind of like doing the mind, body, spirit. If something's still wrong, you can't actually tell which leg is either wobbly, too short, or is it just the ground that you're on that is unlevel? You know, you're not really sure. But if you put that fourth leg back on, <laughs> then it's very, very obvious, right? You can see that the table or the chair is going to wobble if something is not exactly balanced for you. So you'll be able to see whether or not it's something in the mind area or something in the body area or something in the spirit, right? And for me, it turned out what was missing was nature, right? So that connection back to nature, even though I could sit and meditate or commune with the world around me, nature is actually a little bit larger than that, in, at least in, in the four medicine ways. Nature has to do with literally where we are seated on this planet. So sometimes I feel like the planet is like, you know, you're not actually supposed to be here on the West Coast. <laughs> you're gonna actually be better suited on the East Coast, you know, and then suddenly your systems start to re-regulate and, you know, the way the sun comes up on that coast is going to work better for you, whatever it is, you know, because we are part of this larger ecosystem. We're not, you know, sitting on top of it. We're literally part of it. And so we have to kind of see ourselves in that way. So where we are, like in the world, but also where we are in terms of the types of communities that we gather around us. So maybe we're not necessarily seated in the right community, you know, that it, it's, it's not necessarily in alignment with where we are, or where we're going. And so this of course will feed into the stress as opposed to allowing you to lean back in for that nurturing that a community should provide. So it's kind of all those things. Nature is also, um, of course, the foods that we eat, right? And, I don't know how many of us were meant to eat, you know, I can't even come up with a name right now, but let me do like a little side example. If you look at the back of a loaf of bread and if the ingredients are, you know, 20 ingredients long, then your body probably wasn't ready to process all those 20 ingredients. But if it's just wheat, flour, water, and some salt, your body is already aligned to process those things. So looking at nature in this big, huge, um, broad way is what I'm, is part of the four medicines and it's what I try to bring to my clients. Yeah, yeah, once again, so, you know, it's right right there all the time, but I, I also had a similar experience in life where, you know, you, you're like, something is really, something's missing in, um, in my, in my practices or just in, um, my community and what I'm drawn to. Uh, and then, it, you know, it, at the same time though, in my experience, it was, um, 20 years in a Buddhist practice. Uh, and, and now I'm like, it's not, you know, throwing it out and being like, oh, it doesn't exist there. I'm finding ways in which it's interweaving amongst, you know, together, um, that there's so much overlap. So it's not like one or the other, but all, all together. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, what I'm, I'm noticing a lot is um, ways in which we, like in the collective, there are ideas around going into nature to calm our nervous system or lower blood pressure or sort of this sense of like detoxing from right. our, our everyday life. I just saw this ad yesterday for someone um, having an online program meant to um, marketed towards mental clarity and brain fog. Um, and the sense of going into nature for brain health. Um, yes. So just, you know, to me, it feels like, yes, there is this, this sense of being our most loving and available self uh, mm -hmm. when we are in the living world. Where, but there's even with this sense, there's this sense of separateness, like that um, nature is outside of us. So it, there, it's this nuance, this, you know, um, wanting to feel connected, but oftentimes the approach is based in the sense of taking or consuming still. Um, so hoping you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's funny. It is a really unusual, or, or it's a 
tricky path, I suppose, to navigate because in one way, on one hand, I do believe that we have to speak to the people in the way that they're going to understand it mm-hmm. <laughs> and be willing to go ahead and spend time in nature. And so if, if there are audiences that need to hear the science behind it, right, to bring them out into the natural world, if when they get there, they actually discover something deeper and they actually discover the connection, then I feel like everyone's winning, right? But if we are promoting sort of, as you mentioned, you know, going out and sort of taking what we can get from from the world around us even more, then we're all losing, you know? So I think the more of us who are out there encouraging the people that we know and work with and and love to be in nature in a way that is reciprocal. Um, That when you're out there, give of yourself, give of your energy, you know, literally hug a tree sometimes. It's actually, you know, (laughs) they do appreciate it. (laughs) You know, rather than carving your name into it and, you know, branding it, um, be gentle with it share your stories. Um, And I think however we cross that threshold into spending more time with nature, if that ends up being the outcome that you actually find a relationship with it, I'm all for it, for sure. (laughs) But yeah, it is hard because we don't want to have it become sort of, suddenly there are fences up around that this is the space where you go to get the most quiet and now you've got to pay $80 to spend (laughs) time in here. You know, commercialism, capitalism, all of that can really, um, yeah, kind of get in the way of the the whole point, right? Yeah. That relationship building. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm finding even in the, just that little tweak in perspective, Mm -hmm. um, like calling it to the surface and and watching the way, like our, our, you know, any tendency in doing that. And we, so we can still you know, have this sense of like, oh, no wonder I'm drawn, you know, to this place, but just that little sense of like, oh, and I can still catch the ways in which um, my training might be in sort of like consuming this for myself somehow. It's just like that little, that little shift. Um, Yeah. yeah. For sure. sure. (laughs) It's like, um, you know, braiding sweetgrass. I'm sure your audience has heard of that book or read it. And I love how the author provides that both sides of, you know, she's able to speak really clearly to both perspectives, right? So the strawberry is there, it's beautiful. And when the rabbit eats it, you know, it poops out the seeds and more strawberries come later, right? That kind of thing. These strawberries are a gift to be eaten so that they can be released back and and more grow um, versus, the strawberries being picked and perfected and perfected in quotes <laughs> and mm. sold by you know the basket and then um, the seeds never actually make it back to the earth because instead we use the restrooms that you know our our plumbing provides wonderful benefits. I'm not going to go there, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Yeah. We kind of lose the whole cycle. Um, in, in that. And so, but anyway, she speaks to it so lovely. And so if, if any of your audience hasn't read it, I highly recommend it. Um, breeding Sweetgrass. So, yeah, I'll put that in the resources. It's, you know, just, um, you know, an, an essential, an essential text. Um, yes. and also just, you know, something to take your time with as well. Mm-hmm. I feel like every chapter is its own little, you know, contemplation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm, I, one question that's sort of been lingering with me a bit lately is um, the sense of the, the wellness industry, and even this word wellness, like my, my old clinic long ago was called Whole Family Wellness Center. Mm-hmm. And even now I'm like, ooh, like the, the naming, <laughs> uh, you know, it's like that, the, yeah. it's just interesting. Um, but just 
tuning into how sort of the industry of it promotes the sense of health tied to the individual, especially kind of this individual self-improvement project of sorts, um, instead of being community-based or viewing health um, as sort of an emergent phenomenon that's reflective of our overall culture. Mm -hmm. uh, so just, just tuning into your sense of like the strengths and challenges of a one-on-one -on -one based model of which I've probably spent most of my, um, my, my work life in. Um, and, you know, these are the things that I feel like in my original training as an acupuncturist, there are certain key places where I feel like, you know, there's just this void, like there's this empty space that was never talked about or, um, so yeah, just kind of tuning into that question a bit. For sure. So sort of the one-on-one -on -one versus sort of community centered wellness or health and, I think I'm gonna step back a little bit. And one of the things that I like to remind my clients is that their natural state of being is actually one of wellness. That it's what we do, how we interact, what we're eating, basically how we're living and the choices that we're making that pull us out of that state of balance and oneness with the world around us. So what we're doing, how we're being, how we're living and who we're with, the choices that we make are the things that pull us out of balance with that oneness around us, right? And so when you pause for a moment, you realize, oh my gosh, I actually do have a choice in how I treat this body that I've been gifted. Um, I think that reclamation of power is or, or agency is important. Our medical systems, and I'm grateful for them, truly, they have saved my life and my daughter's life a few times here. And that's not an exaggeration. Um, but our, our Western medicine is one to cut us cut apart and dissect to pull things apart, right? And fix a thing versus looking at a whole thing. And I think it's We've given our our we've given control over, right? Kind of like we're a car and we give it to the mechanic and we say fix it and we don't take any responsibility for changing its oil or you know lubricating what it needs to. We're just like I don't know what happened. I ran it into the ground. Now fix it, and then you get the car back. So that's kind of how we've been treating our bodies. So when we get back to the question of sort of personal wellness, I do think that that what it should be centered around is actually re-education <laughs> of you make these choices. You are the one that knows your body best. And when you notice that something is off, recognize that it is off with a larger ecosystem. It's not just a one thing, but that's also part of the education. And I think having been, and I still am sort of walking those lines in both worlds where you know, I have these group experiences, but then I have one-on-one -on -one clients. I can see the benefits of both depending on where the person is in their life. Um, I find that in group experiences, I started to become a little bit disgruntled, I guess, <laughs> because I could see things slipping through the cracks. You know, it's like, oh, but this person needs more of this information, but you got to keep going because you've got to teach to the middle. And so you're kind of leaving folks behind and then the folks who kind of are already there like a little bit bored and so you're like oh you know they're not sinking into the information it's become very surface because the group is too large right but then with that one-on-one -on -one person if you don't educate them enough or orient them enough to re to see how what they are doing and the choices that are making impact the larger ecosystem or what that means for who they are and where they're seated, then that's also a disservice. So it's a tough one because uh -huh. <laughs> I can see, you know, the good and the not so great in both, but I, I do, um, it's kind of like, I just end up hoping that those of us who are in positions to educate are actually steering our, our, our audiences toward that bigger picture, no matter what vehicle we're using, right? Mm -hmm. So if you've got, 
150 people on a Zoom call, I hope that the message that they're taking away is one of re-engagement with the larger landscape. And if you're working one-on-one, -on -one, hour after hour, I hope that that is also the message. Mm -hmm. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, that really, um, yeah, feeling into that and um, just the, the continued, like, the way we black and white everything in terms of the like without the nuance of well there's this in this situation and this person and um i guess i'm just you know continuing to more and more notice in in the larger course of things like for example um you know thinking about our guts and how you know just having these bazillions of bacteria and living organisms within us, um, you know, are, are so reflective on our like freshness and availability of food and the soil it's grown in. And, um, you know, knowing that people with the most denuded guts in all of the world are folks living in cities in the US. And so mm -hmm. um, just a sense of, um, it's not so much a reflection of the individual choices but about these larger systems, large ag agricultural systems and, and beyond. Um, and just it feels hard to, um, it feels so big. You know, it feels like there's so, such a chasm in terms of these other bigger things at work mm -hmm. um, and how to, yeah, how to support people in that. But it's interesting that you, you know, you mentioned sort of the, the food systems, right? That um, I think one of the things I noticed during the course of the, the pandemic was, and I was I was so glad for it. A lot of people started growing their own food again, you know. And they're like, they had one of my clients say to me, and I thought it was so cute. <laughs> she was like, "Do you know that when you buy scallions and how they have those roots hanging off? If you cut that bottom off and you plant it, it'll grow another scallion." <laughs> and she was just so surprised by this, and I was like our disconnect from our food and where we come from yeah. is so, so very, where it comes from is so very, very real. And so I was just pleased with that uptick in, in people rediscovering how to grow food. And, and, you know, it doesn't just arrive in a plastic bag. There's a, <laughs> there's a thing that must happen. Um, but at the same time, I think we are so inundated, especially here in the US with bad options, mm. you know, that it's hard to actually choose well. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the, the hardest part, I think, of those of us in these roles where we're trying to support people in their choices, that there is so much that is not really healthy or, or good for our systems um, that's out there, right? So you, we'll go back to the bread again, because it's an easy example. You know, I'll have a client who was like, oh, well, of course, fiber one is going to be good because, you know, my doctor said I need to get more fiber and clearly this is great. And so in one of my workshops that I used to lead, it was called Gutsy. I actually had a bag of fiber one and it lasted for six months. And it only started to, it was like, I, I just kept it up on top of the, um, on top of our refrigerator just to see how long. I was very curious about the preservatives in it. Um, and it, it finally started to kind of smell like beer, but it never actually really turned. It just started to smell like beer. And I thought, you know, and I brought this bread to this club, to this workshop for months and saying, you know, it's still, <laughs> still hanging in there. I was like, there shouldn't really be anything that we're putting into our bodies that's going to last that long. It's like putting paste or plaster or wood fibers or, you know, into your body that's not getting processed out. Your body already has too much else to work on. Just, you know, the pesticides free flowing in the air, much less the ones that are on the food you're eating. So when you're trying to make healthy choices in the face of the marketing that tells you this is going to be good for you, we're asking people to dig a little deeper, like literally. <laughs> if you're going to buy prepackaged things, you're going to have to read the labels. And you know, if when you're reading those labels, 
if you can't, if you're, you know, say four or five year old can't read the ingredients, then it's probably not necessarily going to be great for your body. And it probably wasn't necessarily processed in a way that was great for the environment. So, but that's a lot of, a lot of educating. <laughs> and there are a lot, I mean, when you walk into a grocery store, the amount of seeming amount of choices when really there's actually only one, but it's hard to find it. It's hard to find it. You know, it's like, do you go with paper bags or recycled bags or, you know, all of these things have an impact. And I think most people want to do the right thing and are trying to do the right thing, but our commercialist capitalist society um, has inundated us with a lot of stuff. And so we just shut down and go with what's easy. You know, it's, it's right there. I'll just go with that. <laughs> Right. But yeah, the digging deeper, that mm-hmm. is, that is the, the teaching, that is what we're trying to help people, again, remember, remember a simpler approach to living, a simpler approach to food, a simpler approach to connecting to this earth and being a part of this system, you know, it feels harder on the surface because of what we're fed. But once you kind of see it, you go, oh, this actually is easier. But you have to, you have to get past all of, the, all of the marketing first. It's a big ask. It's a big task. It, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and just the, the level of, um, of fatigue, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the, the oftentimes that sense of like, I'm just so tired. I'm just so overwhelmed. I'm just so full of kind of eco anguish. I don't even know what to do. Um, so, you know, that, that bit of paralyzation, I oftentimes think that it's so amazing to me how to just watch how each of us are doing it in our own completely different way. Like one person is like growing extra food in their garden for the food pantry, or one person is like, I can pick up the extra dog poop bags on my walks that somebody left. And I can, you know, um, like I, I am like a plastic free health, like every person is doing it in their own completely different way. And it's like, Mm -hmm. and it, they're all good. Like, it's all Mm -hmm. like that little tiny, you know, whatever you're drawn to, like whatever you're stumbling into that you're, you know, magnetized to, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it just is, um, it all matters, I think. But, it absolutely yeah. all matters, you know, I, and I think that we are, I think most people are trying their best, you know, yeah. so sometimes I'll, I'll, I go into the cesspool that is social media, oh, but sometimes <laughs> I float in there and, you know, and I know that people are coming from a, a, a good place, you know, it's like, don't, you know, there'll, there'll be this whole argument about only eating soy and then, you know, folks who don't eat soy or like, well, you know that they're, after all the cows are gone, they're, they're clearing them out to plant the soy and it's killing everything. And so it's sort of like, how do you choose? Right. And so they're kind of going at each other about who's being better to the earth. And it's like, as long as you're trying in the ways that you can, yeah, let it go. <laughs> Cause the systems that we're working against are a little bit bigger than us but choose what makes sense for your, your body and your family and what's truly nurturing and, and keep spreading the word in a healthy, happy way. Um, and trust that everybody's trying. I think yeah. they are. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, 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 a, it's not, yeah, it's just not an easy battle. So to go mm-hmm. easy on each other is the point. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, um, just you mentioned this before, sort of our, you know, our, our, our tendency to sort of um, kind of like compartmentalize, uh, you know, really viewing our the like this collective view of the borders and boundaries of our bodies, the way we sort of cut ourselves off or, you know, kind of fragment ourselves. We are really good at, you know, separation, not so good at like kind of putting it all back together again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I lately what's, you know, really um, coming up for me is a sense of instead of feeling into a 
um, we think about our immune system, but like, but instead, you know, feeling into the sense of like a vast um, immune intelligence that incorporates, you know, our lymphatic systems and our circulatory systems and our digestive systems and, you know, everything kind of working together. First of all, you know, honoring the great mystery and all of that and all that we don't understand. Thank goodness for that. Um, and, and just this sense of like, we're always looking for one single voice instead of like the the nuanced and complex coalescing of like all these voices coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, just, um, just, just feeling into that and when you're, you know, if you had any other thoughts about that and also just in terms of on an everyday basis, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of maybe tuning into um, like, to me, I feel like I'm off, I'm often in a state of unlearning. Like, I feel like I'm unlearning a lot. Um, and so, and what that has to do is I, I find myself um, thinking or speaking from an old lens. And then, so I'm curious, um, you know, if you had any thoughts around that everyday piece too, like in terms of our viewpoint and our speech and um, I know that was a long question, but hopefully yeah. there's something in there. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Trace it back. Um, let's see. So about the everyday, our everyday dialogue. Um, I think, I think we have to remember that we are human. You know, this, the earth and the spirits of the earth and the land and is a lot older than we are. And I think (laughs) probably a lot more patient (laughs) than we are. Um, And so in our human way, right, we, I think it's it's falling back into something that we were taught before or something that we believe to be true is not necessarily something to be, admonished you know it's like especially when you're recognizing it's like oh why would I have said that or why would I have gone there all right let's look you know each day is an opportunity to do it better rather than getting stuck in the oh I fell off the the horse again right it's like if we think of the practice of yoga we call it a practice because it's never done we are literally always learning right and unlearning and we have to be in the exact moment. And it's like, when we, we you know, fall out of that balance or out of that tree, it's like, okay, what's happening in my body? What am I learning? It's not a, oh, you're terrible. <laughs> That's not where we wanna land with it. That's not the lesson. So I think it's the same in our everyday lives that I see these, these moments in these bodies as almost practice, as relearning and unlearning and that's the way it's meant to be you know um yeah because one day you know one day and sort of in the time frame of the earth our you know our lifetimes are quite short and so we'll rejoin our ancestors and hopefully when we rejoin we are um in a better place than we were when we came back into these bodies you know so i think it's okay Mm -hmm. i think it's okay to to fall here and again and pick yourself up mm-hmm. and expect that it, that you can forgive yourself and that others around you can forgive you for the, the fall. It's all good. Mm-hmm. That's my hope. I know it doesn't always happen that way, but <laughs> that's my hope. I teach my, some of my students, you know, we talk quite a bit about sort of the second dart that we throw at ourselves. So the first one is you know that that something happened i'll use stubbing your toe as an example because it's easier um so you stub your toe and it hurts and then so that's the first start and your brain's like "Ooh, that hurts let me you know send some energy down there to start whatever healing process i need to do the second dart is when you start berating yourself for being clumsy how could i not see that oh you're so dumb you know and then you have that whole dialogue with yourself about what you did wrong. And then your brain has to deal with that. And it starts to live in your body. And then your cells start to go, and then, you know, then you're coming to see me. 
<laughs> because you have talked yourself into a place that, you know, you could have avoided by simply going, yep, that hurt and moved on, right? So the same is true. Somebody steps on your toe, your brain still has to do the work to send everything, the signals and all of that to, you know, start the repair on your foot. But if they stepped on it, then you're yelling at them. How could you be so clumsy? You know, we have to, we have to pause and go, you know what? I don't have to react to this stubbed toe. I'm going to let my body do what it needs to do. And I'm going to keep going. Hmm. So good. And then we don't have that second dart. It's not one towards anybody outside of us. It's not towards ourselves. It's just in the past. Yeah. So that's yeah, awesome. I yeah, I really um, have felt that more and more in terms of like energy expenditure over time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm like, you watch the pattern of yeah. exactly the, the second dart. Um, mm -hmm. And you're, and over time, I've just, you know, more and more, I've noticed within myself, this sense of like, wow, it's a lot of energy put forth to mm -hmm. like do that whole <laughs> second dark thing I'm kind of sick of doing that you know yeah. um so you put the energy towards something else it's right like your energy for something better something mm -hmm. worthwhile you know yeah, yeah exactly well I'm, I'm curious just to um you know in kind of wrapping up if there's mm -hmm. um any kind of like story or something that you're noticing around you lately mm -hmm. um any particular sort of kin or more than human you know family around you where um just feeling joy from that or you know what's mm -hmm. arising currently what's arising currently um i have always really enjoyed spring um even though i'm a summer born baby the the coming out and and the bursting of all the dandelions and you know it just brings me great joy i'm looking at them outside my window um and i think when i sit in the lawn with our dandelions which i know there are people out there who are horrified by that idea um it reminds me of like the resilience of this earth and of us as you know humans and our connections, you know, I'm like, it took me a while to retrain my husband to leave our dandelions and let them come up and feed the bees and all of that because, you know, he just as I did grew up in suburbs where you were supposed to mow the lawn and keep it perfectly green and put weed killer on everything. Um, <laughs> but now instead, I get to pick the dandelions and turn them into dandelion wine and, and, you know, I, as I'm with them, I'm like, oh, you know, come on bees, you know, bring it on and remind me that life is truly a gift and worth opening up to in all kinds of ways. Yeah. So I think the dandelions are probably my biggest um, conversation right now, this season, um, at this point in the season. Uh, and hopefully there are more people out there who are letting them just grow wild. <laughs> you know, first food for our bees and we kind of need that. It matters. So true. We have whole, uh, a lot of the farmers here band together and they just, you know, fields of dandelions, you know, this, this time of year. So it's very, it's very encouraging. Yeah, it's very yeah, encouraging absolutely. to see all those yellow faces turned up to the sky and exactly. yeah. Uh -huh. exactly. yeah. Yeah, they just, you know, they're exceptionally, I don't know, this year, maybe it, it, it could just be me imagining, but I just feel like they seem brighter and their their heads seem a little bit bigger. And I don't know if it's like having had a break or something <laughs> for a while, but I'm glad to see them and it gives me hope mm. for everything. Yeah. yeah. Well, is there any um, any offerings in particular that you wanted to sort of highlight or tell us about? Um, you know, it, it, you, you have a lot of offerings. So I'm, I'm just curious if there's anything that you're putting, you know, particular mm. attention to at this time or. Yeah, actually I am really focused quite a bit on 
my ancestral medicine offerings. I'll be anchoring actually an initiations in daily ritual um, course that's actually offered by one of my teachers, Dr. Daniel Four, and that starts in May. Um, it's an online course and it's internationally available. And um, my part in it will actually, not only to be holding sort of the smaller group sessions where we're able to connect with each other, but I'll be holding um, specifically BIPOC space for the entire year. So that there's somewhere for people to kind of land and digest the, you know, the practices and sort of explore how it's working, whether they feel rootless <laughs> or completely anchored, but, you know, bringing these ritual practices and earth honoring practices in, you know, sort of taking them in, in, in a way, and then sending them back out authentically from themselves and their people is what we'll be working on. And so I'm really excited about it because it's the first time we're doing this for a year long um, offering. And uh, I just really think it's going to be a wonderful relearning opportunity <laughs> for a lot of people. Um, and also a way to connect in this, um, you know, we're still sort of navigating, I think, ways to connect um, post-pandemic, I guess we'll call it, or what, epidemic now stages. Um, and I think having these small little groups in something in a larger container helps us feel heard, but also well held. And so I'm really looking forward to that. But outside of that, I am always available for one-on-one -on -one connections and support. Beautiful. That, that sounds so exciting. I have, I have looked at that offering and mm -hmm. kind of like thinking about maybe joining. So <laughs> yeah, it is a good one. I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Erica, for just spending this time with me and just honoring, you know, your beauty and just the way you're spending your life's energy and, you know, just, just celebrating that. So Absolutely. Um, thank you for inviting yeah. me and reaching out and all of those wonderful things. I'm just truly, truly honored to be here. Appreciate it. Well, uh, much gratitude to everyone who's been listening and for spending this time with us and just being willing to struggle against the edges a little bit as we find new ways of relating and submerging ourselves in a great love affair with this wild earth. Um, and I would love to hear your stories written or spoken, um, ways that you're discovering emergent, um, creative, intimate uh, connections with the places that you're living. So you can always go to the podcast page at KendraWard.com to share your yarns and your poems and any revelations uh, to the story cauldron. So uh, oceans to love of love to you all and saying goodbye for now. Goodbye, everyone.